Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Well, again, it's uh, I'm honored to be trusted with this spot, and uh, bless you all. Glad to see you this morning. During worship, when Mark said uh, or asked the question about what great things God has done, I actually had a list of things, but I thought it would be inappropriate to to start a whole list. But now that I'm on the floor, I, I, first of all, let me say about this, that God is going to be glorified no matter what, okay? And uh, he does it sometimes in mysterious ways. Do you know that God is sometimes even glorified by people who have never heard of him? Doesn't that sound strange? I'm going to give you, in the, under the title of Great Things God Has Done, here's a little list of things. I hope this encourages you. Uh, I have had the opportunity to do a lot of world traveling uh, back when I was uh, working in the, as the editor of a hunting magazine, and so I got to go places I would otherwise not have gone, one being the Western Altai Mountains of Mongolia, which is you know, it, whenever they made up the name, the middle of nowhere, that's what they had in mind. It, the mountains are so high that where I was, there wasn't a tree, there wasn't a bush, just kind of that hard prairie grass up about 12,000 feet. And one day I was, and it was operated by the communist government then before they pulled out of Mongolia. So I'm in this camp, these little yurts that uh, Mongolian portable dwellings, and I see some of the staff pointing, and, and it, it, they can see for miles these people without binoculars. And they, they could see a mountain sheep standing two miles away, that, and I had good vision. Anyway, the essence of what I want to tell you is that um, they're pointing, and so the interpreter's the only one that speaks English. So I said, what, what are we looking at over here? And I had my binoculars. He says, oh, we're looking at the people. So I look, and amazingly, there is a caravan going down the valley, people r- riding camels, herding their yaks and their goats and what have you, like a scene out of 2,000 years ago. Just astounding. And, you know, it's like I'd seen them in, in make-believe in movies, but never like this. And then I look over here, and there's two women. that they're, they're placed in this camp by the communist government, so it's their job whether they want it or not. And these two ladies, each carrying what looks like a very large kettle, like we used to put on the stove to boil water, only magnum size. Each lady's got two. They're obviously full of 
something, and they're heavy, and they're walking off towards the valley where this caravan is going by, which is a mile and a half at least. And I'm puzzled at what, what they're doing. And so I said to the interpreter, where are they going? And he said, oh, to refresh the people. And I said, oh, is this family or friends or something? He said, oh, no, they don't know them. And suddenly I'm struck with, oh, what I'm seeing here is people who never heard of Jesus concerned enough for their fellow man to walk a mile and a half with these heavy kettles to refresh someone they don't even know. And I thought, God is glorified. And what it strikes me is when we were created, we meaning mankind, in his image, that DNA is there in the saved and to some degree in the unsaved. You know, I guess if he put it there to begin with, then that was certainly before I was saved. <laughs> another, another thing that amazed me, once again, I didn't see any evidence of knowledge of Christ. But this time I'm in the Northwest Territories on a very ill-fated moose hunt with a, a native guide and we got a freak storm and, and got frozen into the spot. Long story, but finally we made it back to Fort Smith. And um, this man was a part of a group of people called the Caribou people. And they're almost gone now, but they were the people who followed the Caribou just as the natives in the plains followed the buffalo. Okay. And now their numbers have dwindled, and hit my guide, who was a, a wonderful guy and well-educated, and but it's his job to provide food for those of the caribou people who were old and couldn't chase the caribou anymore. And his wife was a nurse. And they're telling me the story of something that just happened. One of the old elders of the caribou tribe is in a facility where he's spending his last days, okay? He's almost gone. And she goes in to look after him and make him comfortable. And, and she says that the old man said to her, and this is going to sound funny to your ears, it's funny to mine, oh, how I wish I could eat moose nose just one more time. <laughs> That's a delicacy to them. If you've ever seen a moose up close, yeah, there's a lot of nose involved here. <laughs> and none of it looks edible to me. And so I asked my guide, I said, like, moose nose, okay, how do you cook moose nose? You boiled a snot out of it. <laughs> that's what he told me, and I guess that's essentially true. But anyway, she made moose nose, just happened to have one in the freezer, and takes it to this old man's bed, and he was so thrilled he was going to get to eat moose nose one more time before he died. So he ate a helping of this. He was so satisfied. And he asked her, would you basically crawl up on this bed and hold me? 
which she did, and he died in her arms. You think God was glorified by that act? Sure he was. That was his DNA showing up. I have no idea if that woman knew Jesus. But I saw, I saw Jesus and what she was doing. And little things. We just came back from being gone a month in Canada, where, which is my wife Charlene's home. While we were there, an old friend of Charlene's, her age, single woman, living out on a small farm in rural Alberta, realized that she had a 93-year-old uh, neighbor, a um, man who was, had lost his wife and was living alone. So she goes over to this 93-year-old and asks if he'd like to go dancing. So every week she goes and gets this old fella and she takes him out and they go dancing and then she brings him home. See, these are, these are things that, that, that are so beautiful and in, in, in a way they may seem minor, but I guarantee you in that 93-year-old man's heart, it's not minor. It's a big deal. And we get home for being gone almost a month, and somebody has raked up bushels of pine needles out of our yard and bagged them up in these big plastic bags this big. We're trying to find out who did it. Chris and Tiffany were living in our house while we were away, and I said, Chris, did you rake all these up? He said, not me. Now we're really stumped. So we don't know. And then we found out, Charlene's talking to the lady next door, who we've only talked to one time in a year. And she had raked these all up. And Charlene asked her why. And she said, well, I just want to be a good neighbor. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. So God has done great things. There's a few. That's why I didn't start and make your, your worship service last till noon tomorrow. But uh, Anyway, that's, that actually is an aside from where I'm going. But I just thought I'd mention that because I thought it was beautiful. I'm just amazed. I'm just, God never ceases to amaze me. And what I do want to talk about today is kingdom confusion. And we're living in the middle of that. Does anybody know that we are in a major cultural clash? Have you, have you know? It's bad enough that I can't watch the news anymore. But anyway, it's the, the question for us as Christians, uh, and when we look at what's happening in the culture in our country, it, it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm old, but it looks crazy to me. It's like I can't. I can't make any rational sense of it. I can find lots of things that seem to be wrong with it. But uh, the question for us as Christians is how do we navigate then being in the middle of something that's beyond our ability to even comprehend, much less to deal with the effects that it has on all of us, okay? And so let me just say this to start with. God's intention for us in a situation like this, and by the way, this is not the first time the world has gone crazy. 
and Christians had to face things like this, but his, his purpose for us in the midst of all this is not to become a product of the culture, but rather be prophets to that culture, okay? And so that means if that's what our job is supposed to be, then, then how do we do that? Well, it, it, it might be start by raking somebody's lawn. I mean, if you want to get real practical. So, um, and we're in this world, but not of this world. And so we're trying to understand where our footing is, how we're going to manage this. And that's really what I want to address. And um, so let's have a, a look at the root of the problem, and then we'll flesh that out a little bit. First of all, let me say, before I say what I'm going to say next, is that I am an American. I thank God I was born here. I think America is an absolutely wonderful country. And I don't, I don't blame America's problem on the name American. But there are some things that when you look at it, you know, Satan's going to use anything he can to twist around. And so I want to just look at, at the basis of our freedom, okay? Let's start there in terms of from an American point of view. Now, understand that America has its culture. And all of its culture didn't come from heaven. Okay, because it's full of people. So what would you expect? Let's just let's just say um, that a, a great deal of the founding of this country was based on independence. Okay, we have Independence Day. L let me just look at, at Jefferson Davis. What he wrote about it as they're putting the uh, Constitution the Declaration of Independence together. And here's what he wrote. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable that all men are created equal and independent, comma. That from that equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, that sounds good. And, and if, it, if it were handled in a godly way, it would be good. But the catch in the phrase is that we're using, or the terms we're used, equal and independent. And I'm saying that that concept grinds one issue against the other in some cases. Have you seen, you know, if you, if you ask a, a, an American citizen, well, what, what is the symbol of your freedom? Well, there's that flag with the snake on that says, don't tread on me. That, that sounds kind of independent, doesn't it? And any of you old enough to remember the Marlboro Man? <laughs> I know the answer. And for those of you who don't, he was a tough-looking, raw-boned cowboy smoking a Marlboro cigarette and standing there with his horse and everything about him was total and absolute independence, like my way or the highway. And that sells cigarettes, and I'm sure a lot of other things. But the flaw in the ointment is that independent trumps interdependence, okay? It, it says that what I want is far more important than the common good. Now, I'm going to give you another version. This was written by a 17th century cleric, 
and philosopher, and his name was Richard Cumberland, and he wrote this, promoting the well-being of our fellow humans is essential to the pursuit of our own happiness. That hits the mark. It takes the emphasis on everything being about myself. It moves me from me to we and an emphasis on the common good, which is the thing that's been rooted out of the, the cultural battle that we're dealing with. It's all about me and what I want, not about us and how we're going to do this together. So turning to scripture for the same answer, Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So he's starting to see the uh, where I'm going with this. And so, uh, in case you don't know who your neighbor is, it's, it's anybody from anywhere that needs uh, love and compassion. So that pretty much, <laughs> in case you're wondering who your neighbor is now, you know you got lots of them, right? And what about our enemies, okay? Now we know what to do with our neighbors. What if your neighbor is your enemy? Now there's a, there's a twist, okay? Scripture handles that. So if you've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of God, our Father in heaven. And let me say this. Anybody here last week? Raise your hand. Well, it was a tremendous, tremendous teaching uh, that we had from Mr. Fenimore. And he was dealing with the, the, the scripture of Hebrew 8, where it says that Jesus learned obedience through that which he suffered and he broke it down so well and it really really struck me of how important that is but here's what he was saying in a nutshell is that the obedience he learned through suffering was how to respond to the suffering that he was he was realizing and so uh, let's just say that in this world, there will be suffering, okay? Jesus faced it, we face it. But he did one thing that I sometimes don't do and other times don't do quick enough, and that is he chooses one voice to listen to, that of his father. I only see what the father is doing. And so he learned how to respond by listening to that one voice, okay? and thereby got it right. So that has such a bearing on how we deal with the, the suffering, the inconvenience, whatever. And on the subject of, of suffering, historically, the gospel flourishes when? Under our suffering. Persecution has done more for the gospel than any one thing I can think of better than any crusade. Why is that? I think it's because we get backed into a corner where we start listening to the right voice. Sort of the less choices you have, the better your decision-making gets. And so 
all this plays into how we're going to deal with the culture. He goes on to say uh, that I tell you, pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Well, that sounds like a pretty tall order, doesn't it? I definitely want to be among the children of my Father in heaven. Uh, so if praying for those who persecute me is part and parcel of that, I'm, I'm in. He goes on to say, he, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing any more than others do? And then he says, do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, let's talk about this. We have um, a culture that we don't understand, and in some cases a church culture we don't understand. If the culture, and I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just... I'm just talking about what I've observed. If the, the church culture is, we got to get our wagons in a circle because they're coming after us. If that's your perspective, then it, it boils down to the same kingdom of man rather than the kingdom of heaven. If we got to get our man elected at all costs, we got to increase our power base, we got to get more control. All these things are, are the are the kingdom of man, okay? So it would serve us well not to buy into that, but it's interesting for me to note, and, and I, listen, I'm not saying that we should not support a godly man if he's, if he's headed for politics, but I am saying this, if, that's, if all of your eggs are in his basket, you got two to four years before you're disappointed, if that. I can't think of a single area that is more, more likely to fail than to be a politician. I don't care how good your intentions are. By the time you step into that mill, whatever good intention you have are usually squeezed out by the overwhelming need to stay in power. It turns to that so often. And so it seems like how much of our time, how much of our energy, how much of our, our dollars are invested in something that's almost guaranteed to fail? You know, if you're, you're a good investor, you might want to think about that. So what I'm saying also is that um, a Christian culture of unwilling, let's say, to pray for those who persecute you as opposed to get the wagons in a circle, do more harm to the future of the gospel than if it were not there at all. You know, um, where there is an effort to make overt Christian control when you think about it God didn't lay that on you or me you hear what I'm saying so 
do we really want to be in control of all that? Try to be? And if it, it's like, you should see it. Whoever steps up to the plate, whoever gets elected, wants to have control and guaranteed half the country hates them. So we'd probably be well off to, to bypass that, that idea. Plus the fact that God's operation is, is not overt, never has been. He always does things completely opposite of what, quote, common sense would tell you must happen. And it's like, here, here's an example. Paul and Silas are in prison. They've been beaten, they're bloody, and they're chained. This is more like a cave than, any, than it is a, a cell that you might have seen. And so they're in there <laughs> singing praises to God, which is maybe not the norm, okay? And along comes their freedom in the form of an earthquake, earthquake which breaks their chains the good news is they are no longer in bondage the good news is they can walk out of there the better news is they didn't the jailer knows the gig is up if those guys are not there in the morning and he cries out and what does Paul say we're still here oh so Paul and Silas forfeit their opportunity to flee because of this guy who represents the government who is their enemy and subsequently the jailer and his family come to Christ. That's good news, isn't it? But in order for that to happen, there had to be a sacrifice. So this, is, this comes back to my way versus the highway or, and the highway versus laying down your life for another, okay? And we are, by design, intended to be the element that infects the culture for Christ. And the only way we'll do it and succeed at it, 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 in God's eyes, is do it like he did. It, it involves uh, giving something of yourself. The, uh, the term that, that I like to use is substitutionary sacrifice. You have done for someone else what they can't do for themselves. That's a picture of Jesus on the cross. Okay, And we're to do no less. But if... Uh, if comfort zone becomes the, the main entity, then we have to get the wagons in a circle and try to keep the bad guys away. Problem is the bad guys are the one that God wants to save. And we are the instruments that, that he intends to use. So we, we really have to think through how we're going to respond to the culture. Um, and we're not the first people to face the confusion because in uh, uh where is it? Mark ten thirty five. You remember this where James and John approach Jesus and they want to be at the right and left hand when he comes into his glory. They are thinking in the kingdom of man. Can't blame them the only kingdom they've ever seen. Actually operational 
and running the show, and they think this is our chance. We want to be a part of that. But Jesus pretty well explains to them, you're not ready for that. You're not ready for what it's going to take to do this. And uh, later on he says, and this is important for us to hear, that in, instead whoever wants to be come great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so now we're looking at the actual foundation of the kingdom of God this substitutionary sacrifice and uh, so God's operating covertly. He's not raising uh, banners and signs. He does not have a, a campaign manager. He's not running for office, but he is controlling a kingdom and authority over all kingdoms. And so I think in America, and I've been in, in the name of ministry, been to, you know, some third world countries and what have you and we have it pretty cushy you know, we have had uh, God may love us enough to lift the veil on that I'm, not th I'm, I'm just knocking on 80, 80 years old and I remember saying to God well I guess uh I guess I've done what I'm supposed to do. I, you know, I'm getting old and don't have the get up and go that I once had. And, and sort of telling God that I feel like maybe it's over. <laughs> he said, oh, no, you're just getting started. <laughs> wow. But th that, that energized me a great deal to realize he's not done with me. But at this point in time, and it's not always been this way, and I think age has a way of changing your perspective on what's important. And I've, you know, I've chased a lot of what I thought was gold that didn't turn out to be. But the one thing that I am, I'm, I'm finding, and God's showing me this, that I can do is I can love folks. And um, I get challenged by folks from afar and some folks up close and personal. But the big issue that, that God is drilling me with is show me the person you can't love and I'll show you where you need to start. Okay. That's, it reminds me of the scriptures that have used Serve, if you seek to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you gain it. And that's like the philosopher uh, that I read to you earlier said, it's in the pursuit of helping your fellow man that you find purpose in life. You find fulfillment in life. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And and uh, so I just say, okay, God, I'm walking out the door. I'm going to the hardware store. If you got something along the way, be 
may my spiritual antennas be there. And it may be the smallest thing, but it doesn't matter. If that's what God shows you, then go for it. But what I, what I want to emphasize most of all is you weren't put on this earth to sit in the corner and bite a bullet till somebody snatches you out of harm's way. That's another sermon. Don't get me started. You are, as a child of God, designed to penetrate this hard shell of, of culture that we're in. You're kind of like um, the spiritual Amazon Prime. And uh, that is, uh, you deliver quickly. <laughs> we will do God's bidding in this war of cultures when we recognize that these are the people, as once we were, that Jesus came and gave his life for. And uh, be sure that it was his enemies that put him on the cross. But that covert God of ours tricked the old devil pretty good, didn't he? Because he rose again. Another thing in closing that I want to say to you is that if this journey on earth is all you've got, you're not going to be very effective in invading the earth with the heart of God. If you are short-sighted about what eternity is and what awaits you and what's been promised to you, when, when that gets into your, into your gizzard and gets into your understanding, all these things that we fear and worry about become pretty small. As I used to say to our congregation Canada, oh, this would be a real good time to say amen. These folks came from a Christian culture that was not terribly expressive. That's why I helped them along at times. They never did get into amen, but they, they did yell something else. What was it? Oh, yeehaw. <laughs> so I knew when I hit a nerve if somebody screamed yeehaw. Love conquers all. It conquered us. And, um, you know, there's the, the sort of a frightening passage that says, go into all the world and make disciples, you know, and it's like, whew, I don't know if I can get to it all. But, but the proper translation of that is, as you're going along, you know, you not, you not have to go conquer the whole world, but this little piece of world you are. And the good news is, that you are ultimately equipped with everything you need, even though you don't know it until you put your foot in the water, okay? And if it's, if it's problematic and you're, you're going, wow, I'm not sure how this is supposed to go, you have that one voice. We can go to the Father. Have you ever been in a situation that had you so riled up? I remember one time I said, God, I am, I'm your child, but I do not, I am not equipped with whatever it needs 
whatever I need to deal with this issue. I am blank. I don't have it. So if you don't provide it, I'm sunk. So what did he do? He provided it. In the next day, all my angst, all my anger turned to compassion because I heard the right voice. Okay? I hope you can hear me on that because several times in my life I've been in a situation that was too big for me. And I was always astounded because I could tell you story after story, but it's like I'm saying, God, I, I, don't, I got no answer for this at all. And if I am going to be a positive voice in this issue, you're going to have to do something that I can't do. And you know where it always comes out? The end is always the same. It's compassion. How do you turn from the person you just want to strangle to you want to take him in your arms and say it's going to be all right? That's supernatural, is it not? Okay, so now for the quiz. Anybody in here got somebody that's driving them absolutely nuts? All right, we've got three honest people. That ain't bad. Okay, so here's the exercise. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I do not feel equipped to deal with this issue in a way that would honor you. So I'm out of gas. I need you to fill this tank so that I can operate in a way that is pleasing to you. Amen. I've never come back with a blank. I've been so bad I could bite myself. First of all, it's important that you recognize you don't have what's necessary. So this is the area that you're suffering and your obedience comes when you take that thing you can't do to him who changes something in your heart and, and it comes out honoring to the one that you're having difficulty to God and you are fulfilled and amazed at the goodness and the absolute mystery of how God does that. Isn't that cool? So anyway, when you turn on the news, if you absolutely have nothing better to watch, by the way, gun smoke's pretty good. <laughs> I'm so old, that's about the only thing I understand. <laughs> Charlene comes in and said, gun smoke again? I said, honey, there's 20 years of these. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you might want to take a diet from the news because everything that I've just said that God will do and wants to do is not represented there in any shape or form. It's, it's about not praying for your enemies at uh, it's all about bashing them and belittling them and God ain't in none of that. So Lord, we thank you for, for your amazing grace. Lord, we thank you for the grace that uh, is in unmerited favor. And especially we thank you for the grace 
that is the divine empowerment that you make available to us that we can do anything that you require us to do and it will be fulfilled and done right because of your divine empowering. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. I hope that made sense to you. I think I understood it. <laughs> Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you. Yeehaw! I know, it's going to be bad. Oh, yeehaw, here we go. <laughs> It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.